Invest me in my motley. Give me leave to speak my mind, and I will through and through cleanse the foul body of the infected world, if they will patiently receive my medicine. Hey, welcome to Starving Artist Phoenix. I'm Tony Machetti. Uh, I'm with James Schwartz today. How's it going, man? I'm doing good. Good. It's good to see you. It's been yeah, a little too it's, long. It's been a very long time, probably eight years. Gotcha. And when we first met, <laughs> God, in years, yeah. it's ridiculous. We're like, it's coming to the 10-year high school reunion point. I don't know if that's a thing that's going to happen or not, but... I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> um, but uh, when I first met you, though, you were, you were into the theater program. I was in met. theater, yeah. So primarily technical theater. Like, yeah. Was When you were doing that, was it strictly carpentry you were trying to focus on, or where did that come from? It was anything. I like working with my hands, which has become more and more apparent throughout my life. <laughs> uh, but it was it was the it was the environment that I think I liked the most. Just the kind of creative fostering and like, hey, you can do this, and I'm like, yeah, I can. <laughs> and a lot of learning going on, a lot of working with my hands, which is what I like. So yeah, carpentry was fun. I did a lot of uh, the electronics too, soldering light work, hanging, whatever needed to be done, I was there for it. So. Did you get a chance to do any kind of designing while you were there? Yeah, I did. I did uh, two designs, uh, two show designs. Uh, both of them were scenic, so carpentry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of carpentry for those. So were you already like building stuff personally for yourself? Like, Did you grow up in like a carpentry family? Or? Not, not really. I mean... People think that it's this big complicated process, it's not. There's just a couple tricks you need to learn, but most of it's just, you know, you gotta have the right tool for the job, and then everything past that is just, hey, did you cut it right? Nope, all right, try again. <laughs> so, where did, this, um, where did this come from then? How did you decide that like you like to do this? I, you know, I was bored, and I had a lot of time. I remember my freshman year, I was wearing a hoodie. Like, every day I wore this same hoodie every day. And I would, you could tell I was bored in my classes because, like, three months into freshman year, the elbows were completely worn away from me just, like, <laughs> posting my head and trying to stay awake. Um, and the theater there gave me, like, this huge time suck of an outlet. Like, I could just throw myself into it for hours, like, every day, and it was totally fine. And, so, I mean, nobody's going to turn away, you know a young, energetic kid who likes to work. Ah, certainly not in the theater. No, no. no. Uh, so what made you pick theater class? I mean, there's a lot of extracurriculars you could go into. There were a lot of extracurriculars, and honestly, it was kind of a fluke. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I was like, I need to take a class. Like, I'm going to get my art classes out of the way. At that point in my life, I was like, I'm going to be an engineer when I grow up. And I'm glad I left that behind. <laughs> um, but I was going to take, I think it was like art just like regular art or theater tech and okay. uh my older sister was like you'd enjoy theater tech and i'm like okay i'll do that <laughs> and it worked out quite well in my opinion nice. so was yeah. it just an instant fit for you then or? it was i i felt right at home and it enveloped my life pretty quickly <laughs> interesting yeah. okay so engineering was your first thing so i can kind of see yeah. some of the similarities there i mean just you know designing building yep. making things yep. move from point a to b so yep. i mean do you still consider that an interest of yours? Or Absolutely. I do consider it an interest. But the thing that killed me was I took one of the engineering classes they offered uh, at high school, and I, it killed it for me. Really? The people are so bland, and it's such <laughs> a strict process. There isn't 
enough creative freedom in it for me. Like, engineering is just like doing math and doing what other people tell you to. It's not coming up with the ideas. It's not, you know, really colors. It was a lot of just like, okay, here's the process. This is how you do it. It's too strict. It's too rigid, especially for someone kind of art-minded. But engineering is still like a huge, I guess, facet of mine that I keep up with. Because I, mean, I wanted to be an engineer for... 17 years, 17, 18 years of my life, like ever since I can remember. And then I started taking these classes and I realized it wasn't it wasn't my fit. But it was also weird because a lot of times in the theater too, people would be like, you're thinking too much like a scientist. <laughs> and then I was taking engineering courses and they're like, you're thinking too much like an artist. I, and so, I mean, yeah, both are, both are true, but there's a wonderful union with them too. Like, I, why not, why not both? Why, why not can't both? I be both? Exactly. Uh, okay, so do you feel like that um, informs or inspires your like artistic process at all now then? For sure. Just kind of the, the methodical approach, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's nice because you take really good notes as an artist when, <laughs> when you've been obsessed with engineering for so long. Um, and that's the biggest thing. Taking notes is huge, especially when you're working on projects, you know, the little details, your process on how you do it. So notes, do you mean like studying other people's work or do you mean? Uh, mainly keeping own. track of your own work. Like, okay. how did I do this? What was it? Okay, that's cool. Writing down all of your ideas is super, super important. Anything, no matter what it is. It's little, I have, like, three or four data dump files, like, on my Google Cloud, and it's just like, I have an idea, I put it down, and then whenever I run out of projects, I always go back to my list, and I'm like, okay, what's go. what's looking good? Awesome, go. thank you. Do awesome. you guys need forks or anything? All right. Yeah, all right. What are you guys doing here? This is cool. We're recording an interview. Oh, awesome. Welcome to the show. Yeah, you're fine. (laughs) Um, That happens. So, I mean, uh, for for me, I think it's mainly just the mindset of it. Like, I'm not doing a bunch of crazy math or engineering stuff like that, but but you feel like you've gotten that, I guess, the meticulousness of, like, being able to treat the process with the respect that I'm kind of yeah and a lot of the stuff i do now is mixed media um and so i incorporate a lot of like literal technology and a lot of my work i do use like interactive lights and microcontrollers and sensors and stuff into the traditional mediums that i work with that's definitely something i wanted to ask a lot about because i mean a lot of the i've spoken with a lot of artists i see especially visual artists um out there they they do a lot of exploring in different media so i mean was there one that brought you into the fold? Like, was there one form? Because it seemed to focus a lot on ceramics. Is that the first thing that you tried outside of uh, scenic design? Or? Not really. I went to, uh... God, that's spicy. Oh, I didn't know this was spicy. It is. It's quite good. <laughs> kind of spicy, though. Um, no, ceramics wasn't the first. I went to, uh... By the time I graduated high school, I knew that I didn't want to do theater because too goddamn stressful. I couldn't <laughs> handle it anymore. Love it other than that, but it's way too stressful. Everybody gets gray hairs early in that field, I swear. Let's fun that for a second. So, where did the stress come from for you? I Was it the deadlines? Or? Was it? I don't know. It wasn't so much deadlines as it was, you know, the other people I was working with. Uh, and how frustrating that can be. <laughs> so that seems to be the three line. <laughs> I know! Those darn people! <laughs> So, Always get in the way of things. Do you find more freedom in being kind of like a visual artist where you're just kind of you sitting at like the, yeah. I have complete creative freedom and that is the most liberating thing I've ever felt <laughs> in my life. 
Excellent. Okay. Yeah. So you were getting stressed out, and that, that pretty out, much yeah. as soon as high school ended, you were done with it? Uh, no, actually, not at all, <laughs> because... Oh, crap, I did three scenic designs. I forgot about the one I did when I was at ASU. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I went to ASU, Arizona State University, and I went into the digital culture program, which is actually using technology in art. Like, that's the whole idea of it, is to adapt technology for use in the arts. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So while I was there, um, I actually needed some money, and so I got a job working for the ASU theater department as a technician. And so I had like, I would work two days a week. I got like ten hours, which isn't a whole lot, but sure. yeah. So I I worked at ASU as one of their technicians for I think a year, um, and then one of my friends was directing a play, uh, eight eight the play. Play. That's that courtroom drama kind of Yeah, right? the courtroom drama based about... Based on Prop 8, yeah. Yep, yep, based on Proposition 8 in California. Um, and they asked me to do scenic design for that, and I did. And the best part about that was the laser-etched seal of California Ooh, that I made. That's awesome. Yeah, wow. using a laser cutter, that was fun. <laughs> um, and then the 15 by 15 foot wood grain floor that I did as well. You did, did you do all of this yourself, or did you work with a team on this? Or? No, I, this was all me. Wow, so you wood grain the entire thing? You I wood grain the entire floor. Uh, I built a desk. That was pretty much it. Those were the two biggest things for the entire thing. It was uh, black box theater. There's not sure. a lot else you can do with it. Uh, okay. But that took up enough time as it was. So. <laughs> okay, so I mean, that sounds like a pretty positive experience to like, kind oh, of yeah. sign up on. So was there any kind of thing in in particular that, that made you want to kind of back off of it or back off of the, the field? Stress, the just stress the again. That show was yeah. so okay, so that so was, unbelievably stressful. That was the worst one. And after that, okay. I kind of said, you know, I can't do this anymore. It's really <laughs> bad for my mental health and it, it's going to kill me. And so I haven't really touched theater since then. So was it an immediate shift for you then? Into doing something else or was like, okay, I'm not going to do this, but I need to do something? Um... Not really, that kind of, I didn't do a whole lot of other creative stuff for a while. I did, okay, that's not true. Yes, that was a creative shift for me. I started focusing more on uh, YouTube and doing video uh, vlogs and that kind of stuff, and that was my outlet for a long time. Was the content of that like? Uh, it was just me talking at a camera about garbage. I, like, most of them are, like, just utter crap. Um, <laughs> there's a couple good gems in there that I, I kept, but for the most part, it's just very... Is that like a video diary almost? Yeah, like? video diary. That's that's the best way to put it. Whatever was on your mind that day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I did that for three years, I think, pretty consistently. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And, I mean, were you doing other kind of... I know you, you did some videography work and photography work beyond that. Yeah, that um, was later on down the line. Gotcha. Um, but the actual vlogging and stuff, that actually went somewhere. I have a... Uh, there's a big international convention that happens every year out in VidCon. California. Yeah, VidCon. Um, <clears throat> and I had gone a couple years, and that was the second and third year of the convention. And after that, <coughs> me and a bunch of other people kind of realized that it was growing so fast that a lot of the smaller creators were getting left behind. It used to be a very close-knit community. It was very much becoming an industry. Um, and so I actually uh, made a video proposing an idea for a panel at the convention featuring just smaller YouTubers. Uh, 
and it caught on like <laughs> lightning. I think it was like less than 10 hours and the, the creator and president of VidCon, Hank Green, got a hold of the video and he wow. was like, yeah, this is a great idea. And he like wrote an entire blog post about it, uh, promoting it. And they're like, yeah, VidCon's supporting it. So they just left it totally in your hands. They left it completely in my hands, and that was... That's daunting, but really cool. <laughs> it was daunting, but really cool. Um, I had a ton of video submissions. I put together a committee to help me go through everything, because I didn't want to be the only one making you know, a decision that was supposed to be about the community. Sure. I needed other people from the community. So I had four other people that helped me sift through all yeah. the videos. Uh, and then I did group interviews, and from there we, we picked a panel, and then showed up and it was one of the like they, they had to turn people away wow. at the convention because it was so packed well i can imagine that's really like i mean reassuring thing to see i guess oh, yeah. especially at a convention like that because that's you know they're your peers yeah. you go up to see that that they're getting the attention to deserve why wouldn't you want to be a part of that it's, right so it's surprising that wasn't already considered i agree <laughs> um but like even hank said he was like yeah this is what it's about and yeah we'll support <clears> it which is cool that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So did you do that just once, or did you go back for that? I did it just once. Okay. Kind of pass the torch? Um, yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> I dropped off of YouTube a couple months after that. Um, just other stuff going on. I got busy with life. I got a real job. <laughs> real job. I was working at a kennel uh, for a bit. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was fun. And... Uh, so I was working at a kennel, I was taking time off school, I had to stop going to ASU um, because of money. <laughs> I got I got sick one semester and I filed medical withdrawal and they're like, yeah, no problem. Then the summer hit and they sent me a letter saying my medical withdrawal had been denied. Oh, so, yeah, not until so, the summer? Not till the summer, wow. after the fact. Oh my god. And so I withdrew from classes out of contract and I lost all my scholarships. So I was like, this is stupid. So I took a semester off to just kind of focus on my health. Um, I worked in a kennel. I stopped doing YouTube. But uh, the actual panel has happened every year since. That's like, awesome. It's, yeah. So after the first time, they saw how successful it was. And VidCon made it like a super official thing. So they kind of took over and uh, have been managing it. But they have been... Um, it's great because the people I had on the panel... Um, have been the ones uh, not curating, not narrating, what's it called? Orchestrating. Orchestrating. Yeah, kind of orchestrating. VidCon itself goes through all the videos now. Um, it's in my experience, like nobody ever contacted me for the previous years. I think they all assumed I just died. Uh, but the second year I, it happened, uh, my friend Amanda, no, Leslie? <laughs> Leslie. I think Leslie was year two, and then Amanda was year three, uh, but they were both heavily involved in uh, the curation process the first year that I was in control of it. Um, but they, they, yeah, they they have been taking part in it, and they, VidCon has still been very good about keeping smaller creators in the loop awesome. about making the decisions for the panel, which is all I cared about. You know, it's it's nice that I it was a good enough idea that I could have started it, but I don't have to, you know, keep my fingers in it. It's a legacy thing. Yeah. Like I'm I'm totally happy not doing it now, and I'm ecstatic that it's still going. So I'm curious to kind of dwell on this for another second. Like, yeah. Um, 
it's, it seems very much similar in spirit to like kind of what we're trying to do with this. Oh yeah. And that like giving the voice to like the, the little guy. Mm -hmm. um, so what was your selection process like in getting and bringing in those first people? Like who made the cut? I mean, what, <clears throat> if there's even a way to, yeah. Um, we had, I think 300 submissions because after Hank wrote the blog post, he promoted it. Blew up. People were just like sending in their videos and stuff. Well, Hank, if you're listening, I mean, we wouldn't mind a bump ourselves. So. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I think we had about 300 submissions. Um, and so I had a panel of like four people. And then every week I would send them all, you know, I had a spreadsheet with the video links and the names. And I just like color coded it. And I said, okay, do these five videos this week, these five videos. Um, and so we were knocking out like 25 videos a week. Wow. So we would have a week to watch the videos and then we would all come back together um, and then we would mark them uh, green, yellow, and red. It was just like a merit-based thing? Or? Completely. Like, I trust these people yeah. and it's pretty easy to tell if somebody is going to be good. You know, they're very well-spoken. They have good stuff to say. Some people, they stammer too much. Other people, they make videos too long. It, we had a very specific thing we were looking for but we all knew what it was um and so we, we, we did we color-coded everything green was like these people for sure need to go on to the next step uh yellow was everybody else needs to look at them and red was like just just don't bother um so we, that's how we did it that's wow, how we went through chipped everything it away yep. it by interesting and, and i mean it was great too having because i knew i wouldn't be able to do it like from the get-go yeah and so i approached a couple of my friends and i'm like hey can you help me with this? And all of them were gun ho and ready to go for it. So. Awesome. Okay, so you <clears throat> you set that up. You um, kind of like left it behind to focus on yourself for a little bit. Nope. Um, so after that semester of recuperation, what was next? How did you? Because uh, I know you ended up at um, Maricopa. Mesa. Mesa. Okay. Yep. Uh, so after my semester off. Um, that's, that's what happened. I'm like, I need to start doing something. I can't handle a job. My body's still not you know, healthy enough. But I need to get out of the house. And so I was like, well, I like working with my hands and I like art. Let's see what I can find. <laughs> and I came across uh, ceramics at the community college, like two blocks from my house. Okay. And I signed up for a class and I've been in love with it ever since. So you just went in blind? Just completely blind. Interesting. Um, but once I like started, you know, getting my hands in the clay and everything, it was, it was perfect. I'm a very 3D oriented person. I don't mind getting messy. I love art. And then there was enough science involved with it. Clay is very particular and it's all calculated and there's very specific rules you need to follow in order for your piece to turn out the way you want it. And so it was, it was a perfect fit. Interesting. And now this, so this is, this is kind of where I like become a total like eager student because there's so many subcategories of ceramics and pottery and stuff that I had no idea existed. So, like, what makes your style different or unique? Or what do you do with your process? I like to focus on contrast. I think that's been the biggest influence in my life because, you know, I was a science kid in the arts and I was an arts kid in the sciences. And they're very, very different. And yet, they work <laughs> together extremely well. Like contrast, two very different things. And they shared something that makes them work. I mean, black and white photos. They're gorgeous. I mean, it's that stark contrast, and yet it works so well together. I have noticed a lot of the pots that you do, there's a whole series of black and white ones. Yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. That was a very long time figuring out how to make that work. How so? Uh, well, the biggest problem I had was deciding on the clays to use because I, I know I wanted white and I know I wanted black. And so I was talking to a lot of my professors and I'm like, okay, what's a good white clay? And they were like, oh, use B-Mix. And I'm like, okay, but B-Mix isn't white. It's like eggshell or cream. Uh, I needed white. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, okay, and then you should use Jamaican for the black. Jamaican isn't black. It's dark brown. And I'm like, you don't, you don't understand, do you? And so it took me about a year to find the right clays to use that would work together because clays have different firing temperatures and shrinkage right. rates. Um, but I found two that worked really well together. And then the biggest thing I had to learn to do was that when you have the two different clays, you know, and it's on the wheel and you're like spinning yeah. it and pulling it up, you're putting water on that and it's mixing the two together on the surface, which makes this disgusting puce brown color. And if you forget about the puce brown color, <laughs> It turns puce brown after it's fired and not beautiful black and white. Don't so forget about the puce. You can't forget about the puce. So what you do is you wait for it to set up a little bit until it's like a little bit stiff. And then you have to take like a thin rib, which is just like super, super thin sheet metal. And then you scrape away the top layer. That sounds tedious. It's, yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, but it's, I think it's worth it. It's, okay. you know, that's what I want. I wanted the black and white and that's how I get it. But it took me a year to figure all of that out, and then I just ran with it, and I loved it so much since. So, the, I guess, the idea that you went in knowing you wanted black, you wanted white, um, and it, you took a year of trial and error to get what you wanted, yep. do you always start off a project knowing what you want the end result to be? You have to. I mean, that's what makes it hard. I mean, otherwise you're just kind of messing around, but like... You need to have a vision. Everything needs to be done on purpose. So where do you do your exploration? I mean, if you know that like, once you get to actually putting your hands on the wheel, you have a specific goal in mind, yeah. and where did that goal come from? I don't know. That's a hard <laughs> one. Um, do you just sit and kind of like incubate sometimes? And just like think about what you want to happen and like what Pretty cool much. stuff is. Yeah, or, I mean, do you sketch? Do you design like beforehand? So? Sketches are okay. I mostly just write about it and then talk about it with people. I think that's the easiest way I figure stuff out is talking about it, like saying it out loud and actually like giving the ideas words. It's very developmental in my process. Um, and then it's just you know trying it. And trying it until it becomes what you originally thought. I mean, I, I, and I do, I can't stress that enough. That's what makes an artist an artist, is every part of your art is done with intention. That's what takes it from like, yeah, that's a nice <clears throat> pot to you. Damn, that's a nice <laughs> pot, you know? It's, it's intention, all of it has to be intended. That's a fascinating thing to me because one of the last interviews that I did was with an improviser, and so, Obviously, the bottom line of that is to go in without intention, to go in and just kind of let Jesus take the wheel and let your own talents, like, come through. Yeah. And so it's very interesting, like, to see the contrast in those two styles. So, yeah. okay. And, and I, I, I get that. And part of that, too, is, like, I have to let go of some of my intention. Because when you're mixing the clays and you're putting it on the wheel, you can't control, you know, what stripes sure. are going to happen. You know, right. What exactly the pattern's going to be. 
And that's, that is, that's giving up a bit of control. Like I acknowledge that that has to happen. And I acknowledge that I can't control it. And that, that is all going to be part of the piece. The piece is going to decide what it's finally going to look like. But other than that, I have as much control as possible. Okay. That's excellent. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, it works out. <laughs> I like that. Obviously it does. Because you, I mean, you just got a part of a permanent collection at MCC. Yeah. Which is a big deal. And that, that was, yeah. Yeah, that so is what, a big deal. What, what's the story behind that? Uh, so it actually worked out great for my background because the life sciences department uh, contacted the art department. And they're like, hey, we want more public artwork around our building and we have a budget for it, which is like, rare that anybody ever approaches somebody and they're like hey we want some art and we're gonna pay for it <laughs> can um, i trade this money for some art please absolutely normally the other way around i, I have know. all this art can you please give me money <laughs> yeah yeah normally like we didn't have to go out or anything um yeah but we've had a sculpture sitting in our uh, ceramics yard for 30 years wow yeah since for 30 years <laughs> So, uh, Where did it come since from? 1996, yeah. uh, it was originally supposed to be installed on campus, uh, but one of the pieces to it got stolen. Oh my gosh. Uh, and it was understandable why they stole it. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So they remade the piece that was stolen, and they ended up hanging that in the library. So we just had the stand left. You know, it never got installed. And so. That's where that came from. Um, and then they came over and they're like, hey, we have this partially finished sculpture um, and we can get James to finish it for you. And I'm like, yeah, you can. Um, so why why were you the guy? I was, I was, I don't know, I was the guy. I'm the guy in ceramics all the time. I mean, I, I work there. I have my own set of studio keys. You know, I, they, they did it because I would totally be willing to do it. Because they knew I'd be chomping at the bit to become part of a permanent collection. Um, and I had the resources and also the skill to do it. So you were you were assigned this piece by, was it was the art faculty then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was the department head and then the head of the ceramics, Linda Speranza. And how long you'd been, how you'd been working with them at this point? Something like a couple of years? I got the job... 2014, I think, as just like a regular technician, and then four months later, studio manager quit, and then they just gave me his job, <laughs> which worked out for me, obviously. And so how long were you a student before you were the technician? Uh, a year and a half. <laughs> That's yeah. a pretty quick job. It was very quick. <laughs> it was very, very quick. No, I was there for, yeah. It was just under, just over a year and a half. So you were there, you came in with no knowledge of ceramics. None whatsoever. <laughs> you, a year and a half later, you became a paid member, like somebody paid to do ceramics. Yep. And then you became somebody who managed other people paying to do ceramics. And then, basically, and then yep. you uh, got into like a permanent part of this college. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really rad timeline. <laughs> Yeah, if you ever just kind of take a moment and look at it, oh, yeah. like, I'm, I'm really cool. I'm like awesome. Uh, but <laughs> All the time, I'm like, damn, I'm doing good. <laughs> okay, so what? Uh, how much kind of free reign were you given with the piece then? Like, they, they have an idea of what they wanted, or did they just say we know what, like, we want the theme, or what? They just wanted it to relate to life sciences. Okay. That was that was my parameter. <laughs> and how do you interpret that? <laughs> um, 
Because this is, I guess, this is going back to my previous question. Like, yeah. how do you take an abstract idea and figure out how you want to? You research. Design? You know, what do you what do you want it to be? What do you want it to do? Okay, I have this really great sculpture. It's teed off at the top. I got a counterweight on one side, so there's negative space on the other side. I have to fill. So that means something's going to hang. Okay, what's good to hang? Uh, Mobile is another sculpture. The original thing's supposed to be hanging from it with bells. And I like this idea of a mobile. Um, and so I'm like, okay, mobile. All right, good, mobile, good idea. Now to figure out how to relate it to life sciences. And I don't know where it came from, but I'm like, well, tree of life. That sounds life science-y, and I Googled it. And I found this really great resource called the Interactive Tree of Life. Uh, and it has all the microorganisms known uh, kind of branched out and organized into sections um, in a graph. But if you click on the different branches of the graph, you can collapse them, and the program turns them into triangles, representative of how many organisms are in that section. And I'm like, there you go, that's my mobile. That's, wow, yeah. what a kind of convenient yeah. definition. Perfect. <laughs> perfect for a mobile. Uh, so I did. I broke the, like, 300-something organisms down into, like, 35 sections. And then those were my triangles. So I transferred that into Photoshop, and I made them into templates. So each triangle was true to the resource, uh, and they were all organized by size and uh, numbered according to which section they were on. And what medium was this done in? Ceramics. It was all ceramic. All ceramic. Okay, so uh, when did you start exploring other ones? Other what? Other mediums, other, yeah. Other materials, I guess. Because I saw that you had some pictures of some leather work that you've done, looks like, or at least some leather engra like engraving. Was that wow. not? Interesting. I have no idea what you're talking about. Interesting. I checked uh, <laughs> a photo album and saw something like that. Maybe it was not what I thought it was. Um, but stoneware I definitely saw on there. Yeah, lots okay. of stoneware. Yeah. What was the leather thing you saw? I swear I saw a belt that you had done. Or something rather than that. Or at least... No, no. That was just... That was literally my belt. You just think that? I was just like, hey, look. I lost some weight. Wow. I'm dropping down from a 42 to a 38. <laughs> Life's pretty great. I just assumed because you had so many pictures of your artwork, I saw like an object. And I'm like, James does everything. He can do anything. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> so that was just so... I'm not, congratulations for losing weight. Thank you. Uh, okay. So, so when did you start working with stone and metal? Because I saw you worked some steel work as well. Stoneware isn't actually stone, it's a type of clay. Um, it's clay that's typically really high in iron, really high in uh, grog, which is like sand. Um, so it's very rough and very coarse. But it's different from what you normally do, isn't it? I, I mean, that's some people dedicate themselves totally to that. Oh yeah. yeah. No, there's, there's all sorts of different kinds. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of types of clay. Uh, stoneware is a very broad category. Um, oh, okay. I didn't it has know. a lot of sand, it has a lot of iron in it. The other ones that you use are like porcelain, which is very much just like a lot of glass and a lot of sure. just like pure clay, not a lot of sand, not a lot of grit. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So the, that was just kind of a natural inclination to kind of lean towards something yeah. new. I mean, the biggest thing with stoneware is it's super, super cheap. <laughs> and it is a very small cost uh, for materials because I can get, you know, 100 pounds for like 20 bucks, so 20, 24 bucks. Why would someone pick stoneware besides the cost as opposed to porcelain? The colors. Um, so because of the chemical composition of the clay, it's going to react differently to the glazes you put. So the very high iron and everything in the clay, that's going to make it a lot easier to get reds. 
a lot easier to get reds, a lot easier to get browns. And so it's all about, you know, what you want your end result to be, which is why ceramics is perfect for that kind of thing I was saying earlier. You yeah. need to know what you're looking for from the beginning because you have so many different stages. You have to pick your clay to, you know, be good for the form. If it's going to have a lot of detail, you need a certain kind of clay. If you need it to be a certain size, if you need it to be functional, you have all of that. And then you get to the next step, which is glazing. You know, what kind of surface? What color do you want to be on the top? Do you want it to be glassy? Do you want it to be rough? Do you want it to be, you know, opaque? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, you need to know what you want from the get-go. Otherwise, you're just kind of like, I guess this will work. So there's the research that comes in. There's the note-taking you were talking about before. The note-taking, the process. research. And now for me, it's just like, it's knowledge. Right. Like, I can recall, I know pretty much what I want to use from the get-go. Interesting. Okay, so some other things that I saw that now I'm worried that have nothing to do with you. Okay, or go artwork. for it. Yeah. Um, so you were participating in a, a chalk art festival. Yep, I do that. And so, so do you do a lot of... <laughs> Um, I guess just like kind of like drawing like two-dimensional art then? What, that was my first time. Interesting. Yeah. So why? Uh, one of my ceramics friends is actually the one who runs it, mm -hmm. who ran the competition. She's like, I need more people. And I'm like, I'll do it. <laughs> I have no experience. And she's like, perfect. Again, another theme that I'm another saying. Another theme, yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was a three-day uh, competition. It's considered performance art. Because you're there, you're interacting with the public, and you have to do it within this time frame while the public's around. Had a blast! It was great. You know, pastels are a lot of fun. Excellent. Yeah. No. So I, I've done. I did that. I did another two D-ish work for another festival, um, in which you had to create like a mural um, within the festival period, and. I was like, that's boring. I'm going to staple wood chips to a board. I was going to ask you about that piece, and then, too. Okay. And then stain right. them. Because I'm like, okay, 2D work. What do I know how to do? I know how to do mosaics. I can do that. That's ceramic-like. But none of the adhesives I use would cure in time for the festival. And I'm like, wood chips is I like. I did carpentry. I know how to stain wood. That'll work. And it was awesome. That was really cool. Yeah. I had blisters on my hands from my staple gun, but it was awesome. <laughs> okay, nice. So you played with some different kinds of two-dimensional I saw lithography on there, too. Yeah, I'm actually working on lithography right now. Interesting. For another series I'm doing. So most of these times that you've tried new things, it was for a specific purpose. Like, you, you, it got brought to you. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. Yeah, so that's it's totally fair to say. So do you feel like you ever, like, have the urge to seek out other art forms? All the time. Okay. Absolutely all the time. Um, and I think that's all about just like exploring and building my repertoire. Okay. Like I, I've taken up photography because I'm like, I want to learn how to take photos. You know, I've done sure. uh, videography too. I got paid to drive up to the Grand Canyon and capture like 15 seconds of footage. And I got paid like 250 bucks. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. Yeah. Not a problem. Um, but a lot of it is just like, I just want to be creative and to make money being creative is awesome I don't really care how it is as long as I'm being creative I don't I don't really care it's all good <laughs> and I mean looking back now that you have experience with so many different factors do you feel like it, you ever have the urge to like explore some like creative like design or like some expression some mood or whatever in one form over another or is it normally like your default like just working with ceramics 
like, I default ceramic probably because that's honestly where I have the most experience and uh, education in. I took three years worth of classes and two for ceramics. Um, and I love it, and it makes sense to me. And so it's easier for me to actualize my ideas um, in something that I already know. Got it. Okay. So you do you ever kind of get frustrated then if they thought that like maybe you think of something and like this needs to be charcoal or like this needs to be chalk and like you don't feel like you have that ability? Sometimes. Or do you just go for it? I just <laughs> go for it. You know? Um, I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get into photography so bad because I knew I sucked at 2D work. But like photography, it's all digital now, which means there's rules that I can follow. So you can like learn a, how a camera I works. I can learn how a camera works, and I can tell you what to change on the camera to make it work. It's not just like, take a picture, try something else. It's take a picture, look at it, what's wrong, adjust that setting, take another one. So trial and error is important to you. Oh, yeah. Sure. No, trial and error is super important. I'm also a firm believer that quantity will eventually create quality. Interesting. And the I, more you make, the more you learn, the better your stuff will be. And I see that you definitely followed the quantity rule. Well, you did how many pots in 90 minutes at one point? Stuff <laughs> um, <laughs> for a charity? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I uh, part of my job is that I, I throw bowls for uh, a local hunger awareness charity, um, and they literally de deliver like 2,000 pounds of clay that we have to go through. And so you know when you sit at a wheel. And your job for the day is to throw bowls. You get to throw bowls very well. And so I was doing about a bowl every 45 seconds. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and at that Jesus. point, you're literally like, I can throw bowls. How can I make this more interesting? I'm going to race myself. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. So yeah. that's, I mean, that leads into another question I have about that. So. When you have a job, I mean, even if it's for charity, which of course, why would you ever turn that down? But um, when you have a task like that, that's very much like do this many things in this amount of time. Do you, how do you, I mean, do you deal with like the tedium of it still? Like, it, does it ruin kind of the artistic side of it all for you? I don't think so. You gotta let go of your pride, you know? I'm not above throwing like 300 bowls in a day. It's awesome. That's good practice. <laughs> you know, if. Yeah, I guess it's tedious, but still, it, it's good for you. But like, it's after, very good for you. After that day, you you didn't wake up the next morning and be like, I'm not going to do any bowls for a while. No, you wake up the next day and you're like, hey, I did pretty well. Let's see if I can beat my record. <laughs> you know, I've never looked at anything I've done artistically as work or unnecessary. It's all been creative fun, and I enjoy it. And I mean, yeah, sometimes you have to like sit down and force yourself to throw bowls, even though it's don't feel like growing bowls. But that's part of being an artist. You know, you have to make yourself work like any other job. Interesting. Yeah, I, and I mean, that's what I do. I view my artwork as one of my job. I love it. And when it, when it becomes a literal job, when you're working on commission, which I know you've done a few times. I have. Um, is it more difficult for you to interpret somebody else's vision? Or? Most people are pretty, like, liberal with it. You know, I haven't gotten, like, I need this exactly. A lot of people come to me with an idea. And I'm like, yeah, I can flush that out for you. And I make a couple tests, and I show them, and they're like, okay, that one. And you make it. Okay, interesting. So, yeah. so you've never really had to struggle with that. That's kind of good. 
some people have come to me with very specific ideas, you know. Somebody came to me and they're like, I need a planter, it needs to be this big, and it has to be, like, this color. Well, when, when you have the specific ramifications, I can imagine that actually makes it easier, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's something I don't think people realize. If you have an idea in mind and you go to an artist, don't give them full creative control because you're paying for it and they might not create exactly what you're thinking. It'll be easier for you to tell them exactly what you want and for them to create it. And if they can't, they should, like a professional artist should be able to say, I can't do that. Like that's part of being professional, knowing when you're kind of getting into something you can't handle. And I think that's that's so interesting because that's like I, I kind of compare that to like people going to like a tattoo artist and yeah. like saying like you would never go to a tattoo artist and well some people would if they just like having tattoos yeah. but most of the time if you're just getting one tattoo and you've saved up to buy a tattoo you're not gonna be like what do you want it to be yeah you're the experienced one like yeah you want you go in and you have you know you, what you have want. an idea and you know what you want yeah gotcha. I mean it's the same thing when I make art. Uh -huh. I mean, sometimes, yeah, I'll just, like, sit on the wheel and I'll throw, like, 30 pots because I just need to make 30 pots for, like, a sale. I don't care if it's, like, the best art piece you've ever seen, but even that is just good practice. Sure, okay. And it's all about the outcome. You always got to think about the outcome. And so how do you decide what you put up for sale just independently? Like, I know you've, you've done some art shows and stuff. Um, I, I mean, what what... Do you make pieces specifically for that, or do you make pieces and then when you get an opportunity, you sell them? What comes first, chicken or egg? <laughs> um, yeah. Typically, I find an art sale and then I'll make work for it. Okay. Uh, just because that's the easiest way for me to make money. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the stuff I do outside of like bulk production, which is for sales, they're pieces I spend, you know, days on. And that shoots up the price. Sure. You know, I'm not going to undersell myself as an artist. I charge, like, really low, considering. I charge for materials, and then I charge $15 an hour, which is nothing for, like, a fine <laughs> artist. Yeah, that's fair. Which is great when I'm doing, like, really quick pots. That's super easy. Like, I can sell a pot for, like, 30 bucks, and that's fine. I make a good profit off of that. But on some of my stuff that I spend, like, a couple days, like five hours a day working on it, that's, you know, probably a thousand bucks. And I haven't developed myself enough of a reputation to be able to sell something like that. And that's letting go of pride and realizing that. So is, do you feel like that's just your, I mean, their, their appearance of you, like you, basically, them seeing like a younger artist necessarily and stuff Absolutely. like that? Absolutely. I yeah. mean, it, you know, it's a pride thing. Yeah, I want to be that artist that can sell like a thousand dollar piece. Yeah. But I also know that a my stuff probably isn't there yet. Just because I spend five days on it doesn't make it a thousand dollar piece. It could be a you know five day piece of crap. <laughs> and it's 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 hit or miss, and it's hard to feel out you know what you're trying to sell for. But you gotta figure it out. Like I've gone to sales and I've sold nothing. I had one in December, I sold 10 pieces of one of my series, and zero of the other series that I had 30 pieces made. Wow. Yeah. So, and it's, it's, it is, it can be hit or miss. So. So, how do you know, 
when you're there? I mean, I know it's an abstract thing and you were saying, but yeah. how do you know when you're worth a thousand bucks? I sell a piece for a thousand bucks. <laughs> I, am, I haven't sold a piece for over... I don't think I've sold anything for over a hundred. I sold a piece to a charity one time for two fifty, um, but that was a charity event. Right. Uh, but in terms of just like actually selling a piece and making a profit off of it, I don't think I've ever gone over a hundred dollars. Um, and I have pieces, and I look at them, and I'm like, I'm not going lower than this. Or maybe they'll sell eventually. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but you know, you got to get your name out there. You got to build up your web repertoire um, and more importantly you just gotta it has to be worth it it really has to be worth it I mean go out there sell a thousand dollar piece cool but like if I don't know maybe it is a pride thing and maybe I'm letting my pride hold me back on that like this isn't good enough as weird as that is it's like yeah. a lack of pride I guess sure. uh, when well, you're holding yourself to a certain standard I, I am I am selling myself to a certain standard I'm not going to sell something unless I think it's worth selling. Like, I'm not going to cheap someone out over a pot that I could probably sell for, like, 150 bucks. when really, to me, it's only worth, like, at most 50 Like, I'm not going to overcharge. It's stupid. That's fair. Now, going off of the idea of, like, self-worth as an artist, yeah. um, you kind of twiddled on a little bit, but kind of working at a place that you kind of came up from the ground on, I mean, how, how do you feel like that environment has influenced you as an artist? Do you feel more comfortable, like, pushing yourself, I guess? Do you feel more comfortable with yourself as an artist because you, you're surrounded by the same people, like, for so long? I guess, like, working with the staff for so long, they trusted you with this big project, this permanent yeah. collection. You know, do you feel like that's given you a sense of kind of comfort or confidence? It has. Um, I kind of know that my art has been there for a while. I've been working on you know, larger scale stuff. That was a great feather in my cap though. Yeah. Like that was very much like, I know I've been there and now other people know I'm there. That's huge. Um, but for the most part, you do. You need to surround yourself in a creative, competitive environment. So competitive still has to be there. I think so. I mean, it's not like direct competition or like malicious competition, but I think you as an artist, should surround yourself with other artists that you think are great. Because watching them create something great and you going, oh shit, <laughs> I need to pick up the slack and make something great too, you know? <laughs> and then it just goes back and forth. And that, that's huge. That's huge for an artist. You've got to stay competitive. Interesting. Is there any collaboration between you guys? Do you ever, I mean, is there kind of a, a coaching thing that goes on between, you know, artists, you know, when you see something that you really wish you could do, that type of thing, do you still kind of learn from each other? Absolutely. And you know, that's that's the other side of the coin. Yeah. Creative competitiveness, mm -hmm. but not malicious. Like, hey, how'd you do that? Oh, most artists, like especially in ceramics, there's like no secrets. <laughs> it's all been done before. It's just like, <laughs> how did you do it? And so like most artists I've met, all of them are totally fine with just like spilling their entire creative process which is like something you realize as an artist. You can get somebody's creative process and you can try and replicate it, it will never be the same. It's always gonna have like your touch, your spin on it. So you're comfortable telling, spin is funny because of what you do. Yeah, yeah uh, right? Aha, that's a pottery <laughs> joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So you, you're pretty comfortable with the fact that no one's ever really going to be you. No one's ever going to do what you can do. I mean, like, maybe. <laughs> I mean, some people are welcome to try, but they won't. I mean, hearts. Nobody will ever create art exactly the same as I do, because at that point, I don't think it's hard. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I, I can study, you know, a Michelangelo, and I can go, and I can paint a Michelangelo. That's not my work. That's, that's a master's study. That's, that's you trying to recreate a great person's piece of art as closely as you can to learn how they did it. So that will never be your art. That's not you making a painting. That's you making a Michelangelo. Yeah, exactly. That's not, that's not like, that's a James piece now. That's like, that's a Michelangelo. And the cool part is if people can tell it's a Michelangelo, you did a good job. <laughs> that's a whole other line of work you can get into. Oh, yeah. No. Getting closer and closer to creative forgery. <laughs> so, okay. So, you, you're pretty comfortable sharing your creative process. And oh, you're, yeah. you're good with exchanging tips with people. Yeah. I mean, being in an educational environment, you, you do a lot of teaching to inexperienced students? I am not allowed to teach. Okay. Fair. <laughs> because I do not have a master's. Therefore, I'm not qualified. So you're not allowed to instruct in a class, but I mean, do you yeah. find yourself helping out? I should say, give oh, yeah. a helping hand. Yeah. Like if a student, I can help students in non-creative ways. <coughs> Got a pepper in my throat. Yeah, it sneaks up on you. It does. <laughs> it's nice. Um, but like, if somebody's like, I don't understand how to use this piece of equipment, or why is my box coming apart? I can go over and I can be like, okay, try this. Um, so I'm allowed to give tips. I'm not allowed to instruct. Interesting. Yeah. Is that something that you're interested in? Maybe later. I kind of like it, though. <laughs> Especially in the, like, environment I'm in. Like, a student can come up to me and they'll be like, what colors do you think I should do? Or how do I throw a pot? I go, you should ask your teacher. And then go back to whatever I was doing. <laughs> like, it, it is such a wonderful position that I can just, like, Rub people off and focus on whatever I want. Oh, it's a wonderful excuse. That's, I feel like you're setting yourself up to be like the guy in like somebody's biography movie. Or like they go to like ask you for help and you're like, get out of here, kid. Get out of here, kid. <laughs> That's how they think of you. And then like years later, you see one of their pieces and you're like, I was wrong. It's not even that. It's no, I get like, it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I could be that guy. I'm okay with being that guy. I have like a... a a completely eaten lollipop or a toothpick, and I'd be like, get out of here, kid, and like flick it out their forehead. You want to know something about color? <laughs> you want to know something about color? You should read a book. Man, what an idiot. You ride your motorcycle up. Yeah. That'd be cool. Nice. Well, okay, so so you're, you're not necessarily interested in instructing, but I think it's cool that, I mean, that, that goes back to your own style, I guess, of doing your research, doing your own research, making your own notes. Yeah. Like, I think that's an interesting thing to learn as, like, an like a become, up-and-coming artist, excuse me, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Up-and-coming artist is that, you, at the end of the day, like, you kind of have to do the work. Yeah, you do. I mean, you totally do. And I mean, like, going back to it, too, like, I didn't, going back to it, too, I didn't come up with the idea of black and white. You know, I was inspired by another artist who did that, and I'm like, that's freaking dope. I want to do that, too. <laughs> Um, and that was Rafael Perez. He's that's what he does. He does high contrast black and white work. He's what got me onto it. I mean, if you go and you look at his pieces, and then you look at my black and white pieces, it's completely different. Hundred percent, completely different. Interesting. 
But no. it's still that, that same idea. Not the exact same thing, but it's the idea and how I used it and turned it into my own. Gotcha. No, talking about ins um, inspiration as well, I don't know if this is something that is consciously something to think about, um, but I noticed that you're very much uh, like an outdoorsy type of person. You you do bouldering, you do spelunking. Yeah. 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 <laughs> spelunking is... I don't do cave diving, not yet, but uh, rock climbing and bouldering, yeah. <laughs> Really? I swear. Again, I'm going off of like a little bits of research I could find on the internet. I saw you in a cave. I know you've been in a cave before. I, pro I have been in a cave before. <laughs> I cannot, I cannot deny that. Um, but okay, so I mean, but bottom line is you spend your time around natural stone formations, natural yeah. rock formations, and seeing those natural colors. Do you feel like you take something from them? I do. I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, besides the black and white, I love, you know, kind of earth tones. And autumn colors and those nice reds and oranges and so getting out you know getting outside seeing sunsets climbing rocks it's all like it makes sense to me especially in ceramics because my clay is made out of that rock you know i can tell you what minerals are in that rock i can crush that rock up into a glaze and use it as a glass former and then i'm also taking geology i can literally tell you what that rock is like it's how all long just, it's been there how long it's been there what what age is it from Interesting. Yeah. So you it's can just, see it in like a really literal sense almost like what, oh yeah. what you're doing. For, for me, it's like it all goes back and it all works together, which... Contrast! <laughs> Tell me two things that are completely different. Uh, rock climbing and ceramics. You are wrong! They are the same, almost! <laughs> but I can use them all in like different ways together. You know, they're different and yet they have that link and it all just... It clicks. That's awesome. It clicks in my <laughs> head, and I can use that to my advantage. That's that's fantastic. And I mean, I imagine you did a little bit of traveling too. You've taken some trips abroad and stuff. And do you do you feel like you can get that sense of like in different places of kind of their own like artistic techniques and cultures and stuff? How absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I actually I went overseas last uh, last year. Yeah. Right about uh, last summer, uh, I went on a uh, backpacking trip through Europe, and we stopped in Valencia, Spain for like a week, and completely fluked, we ended up in this gorgeous like penthouse suite, nice. and it had like a roof terrace and everything overlooking <laughs> the city, and then on top of that, we were there for the annual like uh, citywide arts festival. Oh my god. <laughs> in the middle of the arts district, like, it was great, because that weekend I would just, like, walk outside, walk across the street into a gallery, they'd hand me free beer, and then I could look at their art. <laughs> and it was like that in the entire, like, you arts district. planned it better. Yeah, I couldn't have. It was great. So I, I did. I walked around, and I went to, they had, like, brochures and pamphlets and speakers, demonstrations, and I went around to all the ceramic artists. <laughs> I don't speak any Spanish whatsoever, but it, I had a partial translator with me. And so it was cool, because, like, we speak a different language, but I still understand, like, how you made this, and, like, from you telling me, like, colors and types of clay and firings, I, I get it. I get your process. I bought something from every single ceramic artist there. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. And so, like, over there, a lot of them use slip casting. So they'll make plaster molds of pots and stuff, they'll pour liquid clay inside, and okay. then the plaster sucks away the moisture. And it starts to solidify the clay from the outside in. Interesting. And then you pour out, you know, 
uh, you let it sit for like 15 minutes, and then you pour out whatever liquid clay is remaining, and then you're left with just the shell of a form. Everybody in Spain was doing that. And, and you I had, had not attempted it at all? I, no. I always viewed it as, you know, lesser, beneath me. This whole thing that, like, oh, that's just for, like, mass production. Mm. Yeah. And then I went to Spain, and I saw this, and I'm like, holy fuck, I'm wrong. <laughs> this is brilliant, and I need to learn how to do this. And that's another thing you have to, I, I kind of learned. I thought I was trying to be, I figured out I was trying to be a purist when it came to ceramics. But in reality, there's no such thing as cheating. <laughs> Not in ceramics. Like, and I don't think the there's a such thing as cheating in art. Like, you know what you want the end product to be. You do anything you can to get there. Because the end product is ultimately what your art should be about. You know, the final piece. If it completely falls in line with your vision, you can see if, like, your idea was good enough. Because, like, I can make something and it can be exactly what I thought it was, but when it's sitting there in actual form, when I get feedback from people, when I get a good crit on it, it could be total crap by the time it's done. And I can look at it and say, I was wrong. And you learn and you go on. <laughs> so uh, since that trip, then have you experimented with that a little bit, slipcasting? A little bit. I'm really, really bad at it. Um, and it's a, something I have to come back to. But right now I'm focusing a lot on uh, different series, different ideas I've been cultivating for a long time. And that's taking precedence over learning a new technique at the moment. Makes sense. Getting these fleshed out ideas that I have that I'm really excited about into physical form. That's what I'm focusing on now. I do have to learn how to do slip casting at some point because it's freaking amazing. Nice. And I think yeah. that's a good place to kind of wrap up a little bit. Kind of put a period on it. But um, a couple things I like to ask. Um, so being specifically in the Phoenix area, um, I mean... This is a pretty, like, it's kind of a small community, uh, yeah. necessarily across oh, the yeah. So, I mean, who in, in your kind of field, in your view, who inspires you as an artist around this area? Who are some peers that you feel like you want to shout out? Uh, Nick, I know you've dropped a few names. I, I have. Um, those were mostly, you know, very inspiring people, but a lot of my peers are definitely that kind of creative, uh, competitive environment. Yeah. Uh, Nick Thunder, he's amazing he does a lot of uh raku um which is like low fire ceramics lots of metallics and everything like that he's brilliant freaking love the guy um and then i, I like other you know non-ceramic artists as yeah. well but i draw uh inspiration from uh christian stewart he's a painter um amazing amazing guy again but his work is also just like completely beautiful um and the other one is Corey slauson um, and he does uh, kinetic work. Interesting. What's so artwork yeah. that is animated on its own. He does a lot of, you know, crazy shapes and lines and a lot of high contrasting colors. So when you move, the picture itself moves. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Uh, but, but those three, uh, those three round out. Oh, I can't, I can't forget. Uh, Faith. Faith Dom. Um, the best photographer I have ever met and she's beyond phenomenal you know she's one of my co-workers at Mesa she works in the gallery uh, but she's still going to school she was at you know she got into the Chicago Art Institute oh my gosh for photography and she went there and she thought it was crap and left and I'm like yes good for you <laughs> but she I can't hold the candle like I'm, I'm trying to be a photographer she's 
killing it. I don't even try and compare my stuff to hers. I can't hold a candle to it. Uh, but those, those four people, those four people are definitely like the ones I go to most for inspiration. I will be happy to look at any of their work at any time. Nice. Yeah. No, they're all brilliant in their own respects, and they all do different artwork than me. And you know that, except for Nick. Nick does the same Pretty stuff similar. I do. But, um, but for the most part, you know, it doesn't have to be the same work to inspire me. That's Just seeing people work at the creative process, making what's you know, cultivating their vision and stuff. That's enough to inspire me. That's awesome. That's enough to get me going and like step up my own work. That is awesome. And. I mean, do you have anything you want to plug? Any kind of shows coming up? Any uh, website, Twitter? I, I just I just made my uh, website, jschwarzart.com. Uh, that's S-C-H-W-A-R-Z. Nice. S-C-H-W-A-R-Z. Um, and then, of course, I am an avid keeper-upper of <laughs> my Instagram, which is jschwarz.art. And it's, yeah. Awesome. All right. And to... Put a final note on it. If you were to tell some advice to somebody who is trying to get started in the art scene in Phoenix, what do you feel like is the most important advice you could give them? Get after it and be professional. Get after it, be professional. Conceit to the point. I yep. love it. James, thank you so much, of man. Of course. Tony, always a pleasure. Uh, have a good night. If you or someone you know is an artist of any kind who would like to share their experiences working in the Phoenix area, or if you just want to tell me how awesome the podcast is, write into starvingartistsphx at gmail.com. Again, it's starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.